This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Late Late Show. My name is Catherine Taylor. Tonight, my special guest is Sarah Omar. I'll be chatting to Sarah about all things teacher training as we take a look at what makes a great teacher trainer. I'm looking forward to speaking to Sarah in a minute about everything that she does in her role. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Late Late Show everyone. I'm Catherine Taylor. I'm speaking to you live tonight from Buckinghamshire in the UK. On today's show, I'm uh, very excited to be talking to Sarah Omar. Sarah is a freelance teacher trainer and educator with over 10 years experience in the field of teaching ESL and EFL. She worked for the British Council in Cairo for eight years as a higher teacher where she trained and managed teachers. Her area of interest are teacher well-being, assessment and materials development. Remember, if you're listening in live and would like to join us live, either to post questions in the chat for Sarah to answer, or if you want to call in and speak to us, then please download the Podbean app. Visit ttradio.org and click Listen Live on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show. There you can post your comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Sarah, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon on the top of the screen on your phone's app. Click this and I'll be able to contact you. And I'm just hoping that Sarah's going to join us in the studio um, in a moment. I'm just waiting for her to call in. I have confirmed that she's joining us. So uh, um, I'll just give her a couple of minutes to join the conversation. Um, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about uh, my context with um, dealing with uh, with initial teacher training, which is that I'm a professional tutor at my school. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to invite Sarah into the studio now. And uh, let me just bring her in. Whoops. Excellent. So um, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. As I say, it's something that I, uh, I've got a bit of skin in the game with when I'm um, dealing with my um my professional tutor role, professional tutor role at school. Sarah, I'm just wondering if you are, if you are with us. I can see you're in the studio. I'm going to try and let you in to, uh, to speak to me live. I don't know if you just want to try again. Okay, we seem to be having a, a little bit of an issue um, just getting Sarah connected at the moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the news now and uh, that'll give us a few minutes. Let's uh, let's hear the news items and uh, I'll look forward to speaking to Sarah in about five, six minutes. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
a wide range of media outlets have covered the ongoing issue of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete or rack and its use in buildings, including schools, leading to concerns around safety. The BBC reports that buildings at 52 schools in England were at risk of sudden collapse due to dangerous concrete. While safety measures have since been put in place at these schools, because the situation was deemed critical, more than 100 others have also now been told to close areas with the concrete. These buildings were previously thought to be at less risk. The new guidance follows the collapse of a beam that was thought to be safe. Head teachers are now making alternative plans just days before the start of the new academic year. Some pupils have been told they will be learning remotely, whilst others are being housed in temporary classrooms or even at other schools. The total number of confirmed schools affected in England is 156. The news has since triggered concerns in all three of the home nations. The Scottish Government said it was trying to establish how many schools contain RAC, whilst in Wales investigations continue, although there have been no reports at present. The Northern Ireland DV said schools were being checked as a matter of urgency. Ministers in England have been facing media and having struggled to keep up with a range of questions being asked, including how fixing the issues caused by RAC will be paid for. Opposition MPs have pointed out that schools themselves already have issues with funding and that local authorities have seen cuts in recent years, so finances may not be there at a local level. The DfE has also faced criticism for not publishing a list of schools affected, although it defended its actions, saying parents should hear direct from the school itself, at least at first. A school in Southend, which caters for pupils with physical and learning difficulties, has contacted the BBC to outline the significant challenges it is facing, as the closure of its main building means staff and pupils cannot access essential special equipment. Whatever the outcome, it is certain that, for some pupils, this is the start of yet another unusual school year. Away from issues with buildings, Schools Week reports on plans to ensure all schools in England hold electronic registers which the Education Secretary will have direct access to. However, proposals to introduce thresholds at which penalty notices must be considered for unauthorised absences are paused. They were part of the currently shelved New Schools Bill. New rules are not expected to come into force until 2024 but it has been made clear that ministers see attendance as an area which must improve. More than half of parents who responded to the consultation on the plans for e-registers disagreed due to the possible punitive use of the data collected. Officials said it would be used to enable better early intervention. 92% of local authority workers and 85% of school staff who responded support the plan. The DfE will move forward with changes to simplify recording of attendance or absence. In total, 22.3% of pupils miss more than one in 10 sessions in the 2022-2023 academic year. This is compared to 22.5% in the year 21-22, despite significant government intervention. Prior to the pandemic, these rates sat between 10 and 13%. The TES reports that a group of watchdogs, including Ofsted, are jointly to carry out targeted inspections in schools where there is a risk of pupils being exposed to serious violence or exploitation. The inspections will happen in six unnamed local authorities, 
and examine how police, social services and health services tackle serious youth violence. The focus will be on multi-agency interventions and could include interventions in schools, parks, shopping centres or specific streets where young people may be at risk. The team will include representatives from Ofsted, the Care Quality Commission, HMI of Constabulary, HMI of Probation Services and each team will be led by an Ofsted Health and Social Care Inspector. Where a school is involved, they will be asked to show they have effective systems to identify children at risk of or subject to serious youth violence and children who are missing from school. The inspections will end in May next year. Full details of the report can be found on TES online. Finally, The Guardian reports that LEGO is to begin selling bricks coded with Braille to help blind and partially sighted children learn to read the touch-based alphabet. The Danish makers of the bricks have made specialist versions tested and developed by blind organisations across the globe. The bricks have been sent to a selection of schools free of charge since 2020, but now they will be available more widely. LEGO hopes the initiative will help parents, siblings and others share in learning Braille and to encourage play interactions between sighted children and visually impaired friends. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Hi and welcome back to the Late Late Show. Thank you very much. I now I'm delighted to say that we've got uh, Sarah in the studio. Sarah Omar, welcome to the Late Late Show. Hi Catherine, thank you very much for having me today. It's so wonderful to hear from you. I wonder um, if you are able just to um, maybe be a little closer to your microphone. I can hear you clearly but you're quite quiet. I don't know if um, if you can... I'll just... You're hearing me now? Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Um, it's really great to have you on and thank you. I know that you're, is it, are you uh, 11 o'clock at night where you are? <laughs> you're, you're a bit later on in the day than us, so I do appreciate the time difference and um, and that sort of thing. I wonder, Sarah, could you just set the scene for our listeners and just let us know what a typical day or week is like for you in, in your current role? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm here today to talk about how to transition from being a teacher to being a teacher trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, this is in the context of ESL or EFL, that is English as a second language or English as a foreign language. And um, this is a topic uh, I've been interested in discussing for a while um, since I haven't seen or heard people uh, talking about it uh, much. Um, and I thought to myself, well, it's time to share some of the experience that I have. Um, a typical day in my life is um, now, uh, since I've become a freelancer, um, a very easygoing day. Oh, um, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm no longer having to work like eight straight hours every day like I used to when I was a full timer. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, it's a very normal day. I wake up, I um, I have breakfast, I do some reading, and then I plan my week. Um, so, if I have a project that I'm working on, I break it down into small um, um, small tasks, and I see how long it's going to take me to finish it, and I continue doing so until. I feel like I need a break. I mm -hmm. do take a break. And then I 
go on LinkedIn because most of my work is done on LinkedIn and I connect with people there. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much it. So I, I was interested, you piqued my interest there, Sarah, because you said that you do a bit of reading. I wonder I wonder what you're reading at the moment. And, uh, you know, everyone obviously um, has has their, their fiction passions and, and liter literature literature uh, passions but are, are you reading anything educational at the moment what's your kind of go-to um book in terms of your sort of professional development if you will so basically when it comes to education and uh, my field of expertise um i'm more interested in reading blog posts okay and, uh and um attending or watching webinars mm-hmm uh, more than books so when I say reading I prefer like I it's it's more about uh, fiction or literature okay uh, when it comes to education I find that it, because books sometimes are um, out of date you know yeah yeah Not everything that's happening now um, is being uh, written or published so most of my literature I get it from speakers who do uh, presentations and webinars or conferences or blog posts that's really really fascinating and i i agree with you because i've um you know i was i'm doing a doctorate and i was uh speaking to my supervisor the other day about a book i'd read and it was from 1975 and he did say don't you think things might have moved on a little since then <laughs> um no, that, that's that's really brilliant and, uh, and and i know we've got a few questions we want to go to but i'm really interested to learn actually what uh, what blog um or conference have you found really inspirational recently? Um, so a few months back, I attended um, a teacher's trainer's um, themed conference that was mm. uh, presented by IH London. That was an online conference. Um, so it was basically all about how teachers should start um readapting to the to the new trends like AI for example and chat mm -hmm. GPD and all what's happening with the technology taking over uh, our professions um, so that was the main focus of the of the conference and I found it to be um, very eye-opening because um, mm -hmm. it really showed me that um, CPD professional development is really something important it's not a luxury it's something that you have to keep doing all the time to keep up to date with what's going on yeah yeah 100 percent. and I, I do find um I, before before you joined i was just uh, sort of sharing with the listeners that i've got um i've got a responsibility for looking after some of our early career teachers and i and i always try and just say look you know ring fence this time enjoy this time because you know it's so important <laughs> so important oh that's really brilliant thank you sarah um and you know we've heard a little bit about your context a little bit about your your work and i wonder if we can now dig a little deeper into some of these things you know we've we've in our in our discussions we've had off air we've you've indicated to me you've got views on the life cycle of a teacher and i just wonder if you can explain a little bit about what you what you mean by that and what characteristics that teachers might have at different points during their their career yeah sure so um, i'm basically going to share my experience with the listeners but i think um most people would relate to the context that i've worked in 
Um, so, like I said, we are talking in the context of ESL or EFL, and my whole experience was based in the Middle East, since I live in Egypt. Um, so, I started my career back in 2010, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. O I knew that I wanted to teach mm -hmm. ESL, uh, more specifically to adults, um, but um, I wasn't sure what steps I needed to take in order to pursue this career. Mm -hmm. um, so one day, uh, while I was browsing online, I came upon something called CELTA. And again, I had no clue what CELTA was. Uh, so I googled it, and then I found out that it was an abbreviation of, or an acronym of, Certificate for English Language Teachers for Adults. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. That's something um, I would like to know more of. And um, I started learning that um, if you uh, pursued a CELTA course, then it will open a lot of doors for you to be able to work in different countries, in different contexts. Basically, you'll become a certified teacher. Yeah. Get a proper Cambridge training. Um, so basically, that was my initial steps. I went to take uh, the full-time CELTA course, which was uh, done um, in the period of one month. It was an intensive course, full of work, research, uh, TP, observed TP, having to sit down with... Does, a sorry, teaching course. practice, is that what you mean? Sorry exactly. to interrupt. Yeah, perfect, no, yeah. Exactly, teaching practice. Having to sit down with a group of other teachers like yourself with no previous experience in the field, um, and having to watch them teach and then later on you sit down with your tutors and you dissect the lesson, give mm. feedback, listen to feedback and uh, think about what you're going to take on in order to improve in your next teaching practice. So this is what someone who wants to get into the field of ESL should think about, so taking the CELTA course. There mm -hmm. are other, there are other um, courses with different names, but I think this is the most um, uh, famous and popular one in the field. So did you, um, were you placed in, a, in an institution where you had a mentor and that kind of thing when you were doing this? Um, yes, exactly. So, you know, you've been, you're talking, this is uh, 2010 and you've, you've done this. And, and so did you practice as a um, ESL teacher for how, how many years before you started to think about actually becoming the teacher trainer and, and sort of taking on that, that next step? So um, before I became a teacher trainer, um, it took me around five years. Mm -hmm. That that was post CELTA course. Most places do not acknowledge your experience level before the CELTA course. So before the CELTA course, I already had around two or three years of experience. That was yeah. previous CELTA, pre prior to my CELTA. Mm -hmm. After the CELTA, I did five years of full-time teaching, teaching both adults and young learners. And I was, um, when I first started working um, for the British Council, I was a trainee teacher. So that's like the second step mm -hmm. um, of the career. Um, I got a full year of intensive training, again, full of research, writing, um, getting observed by my mentors, getting feedback. 
um, observing my peers and so on. Um, and then I became a full-time, uh, they call them veterans now. Yes, uh, okay. People, the people with uh, two years post-CELTA experience. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And I, I what I'm kind of, I suppose, getting at is that, um, you know, is do you think that a lot of people would sort of do five or, or so years and then be looking for a step up or do you think it takes a certain kind of teacher to want to take that next step what do you think are the is other other pulls perhaps towards becoming a teacher trainer and perhaps also some pushes as well well, um, I think it, it it all comes down to what you really want to do with your career. Some people take the CELTA and then they travel all around the globe teaching and they never mm -hmm. think about teacher training. Um, but because I wanted to make a stable career out of it, I knew that at some point I wanted to coach and train other uh, less experienced teachers. Also because I was inspired by my CELTA trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was doing my CELTA course. So I really thought that this was a wonderful job helping other teachers, um, getting more qualified, um, uh, get, giving them advice. Um, and so that's what I wanted to think about. Not all teachers will end up uh, becoming teacher trainers eventually. That is something that you're going to have to need to do or want to do. Mm. That would that would require another set of skills and qualifications to acquire in order to become um, suitable for the role. That, and that's 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 kind of what it's leads very nicely into our, the next question that I wanted to discuss with you, which is what are those attributes and qualifications that you look for um, in someone who's experienced? You know, when you're thinking about if someone approaches you and says, "Look, you know, how do I get?" from this point in my career what are my steps what do i i will be doing what you're doing in five years what what uh qualities um and attributes are you kind of looking out for in that kind of person yeah um so um first off um if we're talking about the personal traits uh before the qualifications then um you need to have some kind of flexible mentality mm. um especially after acquiring enough years of experience that you become someone very, very confident in the classroom that nothing really uh, can shake this confidence, not even a, a terrible feedback from one of your uh, managers or something. Mm. So you become very confident and flexible. Um, someone who is willing to try out new things all the time and is not afraid to do so. No, that's a, that's a really good point because I think I mean I I don't I'm not going to pretend to know an awful lot about the uh, the context that you're in either in your field or in Cairo and in, in particular in the Middle East, but I do know that um, there are many teachers uh, who will listen to this show who have experiences where they they don't get supportive feedback and perhaps that leads them to become very risk averse and quite um quite sort of suspicious of uh, of manager feedback so so when you're when you're looking for these kind of people or these people approach you um you know they're, they're confident they're looking for sort of 
would you say it's like a, a almost a growth mindset they're sort exactly. of open to, to new research and new yeah. new ideas yeah exactly uh, because um unless you want to grow you won't continue in the in the field as um as something higher than a teacher um the, which was there's nothing wrong with being just a teacher yeah of course you, yes if this is your cup of tea if this is what you want to continue doing uh but if you are someone who is like let's say want to take up a new challenge as a school director or something like that then yeah definitely a growth mindset is what you need as a skill as a trait as a personal trait do you think that's something that can be can be kind of taught I don't think that's quite the right word but brought out in people fostered good very good thank you um yes yes definitely I mean if it weren't for my uh, mentors the people I worked with who had more experience than me back then who pushed me to become my best I don't think I would have thought about or maybe well I thought about it all the time I wanted to train uh, to become a teacher trainer but I thought it was a lot of hard work and effort and time spent and I, I wasn't sure I had it in me mm. but um, I had really supportive mentors uh, in my first year of teacher training who inspired me and who pushed me to try out new things and not to be afraid and that mm. is something very important in any school that you want to work for um, you can you can be someone who is independent and who like to uh, to research things on your own, but unless you have someone who's pushing you to get out of your comfort zone, I don't think you will go out of your way to try to do so. Yeah, no, I think I, I totally agree with you. I find um, it, it, as someone who's taken on study um, after several years of being in the classroom, and I'm still in the classroom. it's almost had a kind of antidote effect on the feelings of sort of stagnation and Mm. and I think if if you are able to inspire people to stretch themselves it's actually a very satisfying thing professionally yeah Yeah. this is is one aspect of it but for other people I knew um, in my field back then some people like they didn't necessarily want to take up um, a new role but I think it was uh, the financial aspect of it the Mm. lure of becoming um, a manager and part of your role was to train teachers Uh, so this is what some people would decide to go and um, um, take an, an extra qualification to become a teacher trainer or even a manager because um, this is what I'm going to discuss next the mm-hmm. types of trainers uh, and um, what each role or how each role is different from the other or even similar yes please do that would be fascinating thank you okay so upon um, acquiring enough experience or gaining enough experience um, where I worked and that doesn't necessarily happen in in all schools but where I worked it was uh, one of the requirements of applying for higher positions uh, to become a trainer or to become a manager or an academic supervisor was to take the Delta or the diploma in English language teaching Mm -hmm. Um, that is uh, at a master's degree level um, back then, it was supported by uh, by my school. Uh, there was funding involved, and there was a lot of support. 
So that's what um, got me really interested in um, studying for the Delta. It wasn't really easy at all, but I knew that uh, this is what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, it was um, it's it's a course that can be done either face to face or online. So I did the online module, and um, it was done over two years. Um, like I said before, it's not for everyone, or not all schools require you to take the Delta in order. Uh, to become a teacher trainer but mm. a lot of schools do require it actually um so i took the delta and then straight after the delta i got promoted to a high teacher role mm -hmm. in which i became uh, a teacher trainer um it was a very diverse role because uh like i said a few minutes ago um there are different types of teachers trainers uh, and sometimes those roles um, um, can coincide, like you can be doing this, you can be taking off one hat and replacing it with another hat, mm -hmm. um, or maybe you can be doing only one of those roles. So um, the different types of trainers, um, that, that's not official or anything, but the trainer, the trainer role is a very um, generalized term. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of trainers in, dif in different fields, yeah? Um, and a trainer is basically someone who is equipped with practical experience. Um, they know how to conduct a training session, uh, giving a workshop or a presentation, mm -hmm. um, um, breaking down uh, theory into practice, mm -hmm. uh, and designing interactive sessions. So, so that's... So, like a... Like a facilitator, planner, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's that's basically the general term. But um, in my role, I wasn't just doing that. That's just uh, a basic thing, really. When I was mentoring um, less less experienced teachers or people who just got um, the job. Mm -hmm. uh, they were placed in the training uh, program that I I under under undergone myself mm -hmm. um, at first. Uh, during this training, the intensive training, um, they get observed um, for a whole year, and every time there's a different focus, different yeah. mentor, and they get to work with people who. Uh, are at the same experience level or at a higher experience level than mm -hmm. them. So this was a mentor role. So, um, basically, you work one-to-one -one closely with the teacher. You develop a learning plan for them. You work on their weaknesses and strengths. And you help them follow a specific uh, standardized training. Uh, in order for them to graduate or to pass uh, and become full-time. So are they working towards standards? I mean, in, in the United Kingdom, we have the teacher standards and we, we have to demonstrate competence against. Is it that kind of exactly. system then? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So they have to prove uh, within this year that they have acquired a set of skills in order to become full-time teachers. And they work with their mentors, and during which time they get a lot of feedback and support. And that was the mentor's role. 
And do you find um, in terms of, because uh, it's it's one thing, isn't it, to, to give instruction, I suppose, for want of a better word, to somebody who is wanting to learn English as a second language or, or whatever it might be, either as an adult or a child. And of course, there's differences in, in the sort of reasons for people choosing to do that um, as well. But would you say that they're, when, when you're teaching adults to be teachers, um, what would you say the kind of the challenges of that are as opposed to teaching an adult or a child who's who's undertaking um, the this the skill? I mean, I'm trying to separate this out because, of course, teaching is a skill, but uh, sort of the the language, the, the learning of a language, the acquisition of a, a second language or or more than a second language, versus the, the teaching of a professional um, skill. In, do, you, do you, have I made myself clear? Sorry, I'm not sure that I have. <laughs> what, you're, what you're trying to say is, is there a difference between teaching a group of learners who are just t- studying a language yes. and teaching a group of teachers who are um, trying to improve their skills and getting more qualified. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, and and you know the the challenges in that, particularly after you've spoken more generally, you alluded to there being some people who perhaps don't quite have um, the moral calling, shall we say, because they are interested in the in the promotion rather than the, and that's just. A thing you have to do if you get that promotion so maybe you could talk a little bit around the people who who you would consider are doing it because it's more vocational and the people who who you're coaching and mentoring who perhaps have done it for other reasons mm-hmm. that's a great question i think the majority of the people i worked with were those who were interested in just getting the job um they weren't necessarily in love with the idea of um, helping others or training others it was just very practical for them like Mm. what's in it for me out of this kind of mentality Um, there there isn't a different approach to dealing with people with this kind of mentality I mean at the end of the day you're training teachers to acquire a set of skills Mm. that will be uh, proven during their work in the field Um, so it's like ticking the boxes kind of thing yeah yeah Uh, you're not going to teach someone to fall in love with something or to become passionate about something Um, I think that's really rare unless you're someone who is very um, uh, like uh, those very like people like Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, people who inspire people to Mm. become better. So unless you're that kind of person, um, you won't be dealing with a lot of people like that. But um, Mm. in short, what I'm trying to say is um, there is a difference between dealing with um, coming back to your previous question. There's a difference between dealing with learners who are just um, coming to take a course and learn a language, maybe uh, having some fun um, in the process, and um, honing the skills of teachers. They already have the skill. They just need to improve it. They just need to acquire, to like to, to work with it more confidently and in different contexts with different age groups. 
And yeah, and I think that's that does lead very nicely into our kind of next discussion because I think what we're talking about now is a professional identity, isn't it? When we're no longer simply talking about the acquisition of skills, we're talking about you know a, a professional identity that actually it says something about you as an individual, doesn't it? And that kind of um, that's that's quite a big deal. I mean, we 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 start to develop our identities regarding education when we are children don't we as we go through school our our professional identity will have started to be formed and it you know it continues through all of our experiences of education Um, it's kind of very personal and um, sort of internalized whereas I suppose a skill it's a it's it's a it's a tool in your toolbox but it's not you and uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what um, what approaches you find most effective in helping teachers to make a transition in their professional identities from a teacher, uh, a classroom teacher, for, for the sake of example, to, uh, to a trainer of teachers. Um, and I'll just illustrate what I mean. I've, I know somebody who's a very experienced, high up, senior leader that always describes themselves as a teacher um and that's how they feel about it um whereas uh, i also know other people who who would see themselves very much as um leaders or or managers or whatever so how do you kind of help people find their professional identity in a way um, I think it all comes down to experience. Um, your experience in the classroom with people will help you realize what kind of path you would like to follow if if ever you think about um, going up the career ladder. Uh, so for me, for example, um, I knew that I loved teaching so much, but I also knew that I loved helping others. Mm. And I loved helping my colleagues whenever they came and asked questions about how to plan a lesson, what kind of ideas they could incorporate in the lessons and so on. So I knew that, okay, helping people means that I like to impart my wisdom, share my experience, my failures, my successes, which means that I could be a mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, So I already had the passion and I knew that I wanted to pursue that. Now, I I also worked with colleagues who had that kind of mindset and who helped other people and I saw them how I saw how they helped them what kind of advice worked what kind of advice didn't Mm. work and so it was all about my observations from other people how they worked how they implemented what they learned and how other teachers responded to their feedback and comments in the classroom. No, that, that's really brilliant. And I, you know, I wonder, um, and this isn't something, so if, if you're, if you're drawing a blank, please say, because I don't want to put you on the spot. But I wonder, what do you think of the, the idea of a teacher as researcher? We've spoke a little bit earlier on about how, you know, you're engaged with research and you feel it's very important to, to keep up your CPD. Um, you know how important do you think it is that teachers have a mindset or an attitude of being research engaged in their practice and and also as teacher trainers as well i think it 
really depends on the context that you're working in and the environment that you're working with at the same time. So like I said before, if you're being supported, if there's some kind of in-service ongoing CPD program at your school, then uh, I think this is the first seeds you're planting. You're helping other teachers grow. Or at least you're helping them think that they need to start thinking about growing. Mm, um, yeah. So not all places are like that. If you're lucky enough to work at a place like that, um, then great. You're going to start learning that research is actually part of your job because you're doing it already on a daily basis from the time you turn on your PC to Google some new ideas for your lesson plans or even by asking your colleagues about how to approach a certain grammar point. Mm. This in itself is a kind of like what they call now action research. Yes, yeah. So um, research is definitely something that is, I don't think it's optional anymore, whether you want to improve as a teacher or grow in your career or not. It's something that you actually have to do in order to to continue with your job, basically. Yeah. So would you, and this is, I'm, I'm just trying to, this is part of the reading I've been doing is, is about teacher professionalism and uh, all of the debates surrounding that. And I, I wonder, would you go so far as to say that a teacher who's not taking an interest in some capacity in, in the latest developments would perhaps in some ways not be fully professional? And you can disagree with me. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. It's a really good <laughs> question, actually. I never thought about it before. Um, I think how you define professionalism is how I should answer this question. Um, so, for example, if, if I am out of date, then how is a potential employer is going to perceive me? Mm. It's, it's a two-way relationship you're not the only person um who is in the game there are other people who are going to judge you um so why and why you want to uh, approach cpd is either based on um something innate you are someone who, who loves to improve and grow or because your employer asks you to in order yeah. to um, hire positions, for example, um, or because you, you do want to stay out of date. So I imagine now that with the, with the hype over AI and chat GPT, I don't think it is logical for someone not to be a 10% aware of what's happening because mm. if it's not going to affect your job on the long run, depending on your profession, then at least you should know what what's taking place, what's going on, what is this thing. Maybe it's going to help you with, with, to help you with your job. Um, I haven't used it myself yet. Um, mm. We have been using technology online uh, since the lockdown. So um, we, we were pushed to do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have continued with our jobs. So I think yeah. So I think it really depends on your circumstances as well. 
And it's, it's fascinating. And I've, it's, I think every time I do this show with a guest, AI always pops up and we always, because <laughs> it's just so ever present, isn't it? I mean, um, it's one of those things I think it's such an interesting opportunity it's very strange new worlds isn't it if I can say that um because it's got so much potential but also it has to be handled with such care I mean I've used it to to write the odd model essay um and what have you but uh the the uh the possibilities are are really quite interesting um in terms of CPD in general, what would you say uh, would make, you know, if you were designing CPD for a cohort of teacher trainers, what kind of things would you want to include in that and signpost them towards? Mm, that's, a, that's another great question. Um, so a, a, apart from the basic um, uh, knowledge that you need to acquire during this uh, course um, there is something often overlooked by um, schools employers whatever you want to call them uh, which is um, teachers well-being um, I think this is something that people perceive wrong they think that sorry Sarah you've just gone a little bit quiet I wonder if you could just sorry to interrupt lean into the mic again for me oh, okay sorry Perfect. Yeah. thank you so much Okay. oh perfect thank you yeah so i was saying a lot of people are under the impression that cp uh, sorry teachers well-being is something that um you can just read about and that's it or you can just be aware of but mm -hmm. um i think this is something that needs to be practicalized if that is a word um something that you need to put into action like what kinds of steps can we take in order to help teachers um, with their well-being um, so don't just go home and read an article like how can I apply this on a daily basis so I would mm -hmm. definitely include um, a practical course maybe host a psychologist or a life coach who can be part of the yeah. course to help teachers with their well-being now that that's really brilliant thank you so much um i'm just gonna open it up a little actually because i know we've got a few people listening live in the studio and i wonder if anybody um does want to to ring in um i'm just going to invite people now if they want to and i'll just uh have a look at um if you're listening and you'd like to uh, join us live, post questions in the chat if you'd like to, or visit um, the Podbean app, visit teacher.ttrradio.org and click on Listen Live. Uh, this should take you directly to the show. You can post comments, questions, and then you can uh, ring in if you'd like to. So if anybody would like to, you're more than welcome to, uh, to join the conversation. Um, so uh, I'll just leave that uh, invitation there. Sarah, it's just been so fabulous. We've got, I'd say, about 13, 12, 13 minutes left. And um, I wonder, you know, if there's anything that you want to share about your experiences, about your views about teaching and education in general, um, anything you'd like to see change in the future or anything like that at all. I'll just uh, leave this one to, to you to talk about your passion. Um, oh, that's great. Um, I'm very happy. Like it's, 
so Sarah I've lost your connection a little bit um how, you're breaking up a little I'm afraid okay is can you hear me now? I can yep yeah. no that's brilliant thank you okay um right I was just saying that um teachers well-being uh, is something that I'm very passionate about mm. um because I had to I didn't know it was that important until I faced some issues with my well-being mm. at the workplace. Um, it's very easy sometimes to forget that you're a human being. You always think that I'm a teacher. Um, I always have to be in control, look strong. I have to. You're breaking up a little, Sarah. Sorry, we're losing there. Let me try again. Is that okay, Catherine? Yeah, it's just uh, going a bit crackly on some of it. I don't know if you've moved location slightly where you are. No, no, no. Let me let me try to adjust my audio then. It sounded like it was connectivity a little bit. Um, Could be. Okay. I, no, I mean, what I was getting from that is that, um, you know, and thank you so much for, for sharing that you had um, really become quite acutely aware of the need for real serious consideration of teacher well-being when you had um, faced some challenges in your own workplace. Is that, uh, is that a, a fair representation? Yes. yes yeah. Exactly. So it would be really, you know, as much as you're willing to share, it would be interesting to hear a bit more about what kind of led you to, to sort of start to think more deeply about teacher well-being after that? Um, I was at the, at the point in my career where um, I was thinking more about my job than myself, basically. Mm. So I always felt guilty if I didn't give 100%, which is, which is totally wrong. We're human beings, we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have that kind of mentality. I was a perfectionist and um, I always felt guilty if I didn't give in 100%. So I always showed up to work, didn't, if I was um, a little bit sick, I didn't take time off. Um, I even worked during the weekends, which was crazy. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So that, that led me to some kind of burnout. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know how to or I was at a point when I had a lot of responsibilities and I didn't have time to think about uh, my life outside work. So my health started to deteriorate a lit little by little mm. until I couldn't function properly at work. Um, and unfortunately, even though I worked in a place where well-being was they were aware of what what well-being was like i said there was no practical solutions in order to deal with it you had to deal mm. with it on your own yeah it wasn't the employer's responsibility yes they did some workshops sometimes or presentations at work to help you understand but there were no practical solutions like i said mm. i i had i had to to research that myself and i had to take some time off um, and I decided to become a freelancer after that mm. um, because it was life-changing like how there was no work-life balance for me so I thought well it's time to 
um, put things into perspective and prioritize my health. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally hearing what you're saying there, Sarah. And I really want to thank you for, for sharing that, because I know that's not something that, that we kind of previously planned to discuss. And I really appreciate you being so open. Um, and I know that a lot of um, listeners will will really resonate with what you've just said. Certainly, I know I do. Um, and it's very interesting, because one of the things I've been thinking about recently is, you know, how do we how how do we create a sustainable teacher future? Do you know what I mean? We've got people who who go freelance, who um, you know do further qualifications, become consultants, whatever it is. But I've always felt frustrated that there's kind of no pathway to to stay in the classroom mm. and just reduce it and perhaps do something else like research or consultancy on the side and instead actually what we push as a as a system is we push people towards needing to completely leave um yes. what are you, what are your views on on what what could change hmm. um like i said um if your employer isn't interested in your well-being then for you to take the responsibility of your well-being on your own mm. is is a, is going to be a total failure. So both parties, employers and employees, need to be in the game. They need to be involved in this uh, scenario. Mm. Um, you need to have a space to express your concerns if you're not happy at the workplace for any reason. Mm. Um, and I think it it it's it's in some countries. I think well-being is a taboo. Yeah, um, people think that you're irresponsible if you complain. Um, so this is something that needs to start changing. So, uh, employer-employee relationship—that is one thing. Having an open um, communication with your employer or your manager, with mm. confidence, with no judgment—that is something uh, that needs to be uh, implemented in any place as well. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think, I mean, I, as I say, I can't speak to the, the context in, in Cairo and the Middle East. I've not got experience of that personally. But certainly in, in England, we, we've obviously been through a, a particularly challenging time with COVID. But prior to that, we've had a very sort of standardised approach to our teacher training, um, which has led to people almost kind of being very defensive because any contact with your line manager kind of comes with a suspicion you're going to get criticized and so I think that's done an awful lot of damage right. would you say that that's right. something that do you think that people are open to those conversations um, in your context um it wasn't at the beginning uh, of my career it was always looked down uh, looked down upon mm. um but um I would say that recently people started to change and yeah. um, because I was a manager and I was line managing a few teachers, I had this kind of open relationship with them. Like um, they came to me with their personal problems sometimes. And if mm. I if I was able to help in any way, I would. But again, I have to say that this is some kind of work ethic issue as well. You're not always going to find a supportive manager. And it's not something yeah. that you can learn or get qualified for. 
Mm. It's either you're empathetic or not. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I wonder, I mean, we have a saying, um, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Do you think there are some people who are just attracted to leadership? But is there, is there some kind of, so I don't know, um, I don't know, a certain type of person that wants to climb the greasy pole? Yeah, who, definitely. I don't know. It's it's interesting. This is, I'm very aware of it's the time. Everywhere. but so, it's, yeah. You would, you would think that um, in, in the field of teaching, where people are um, interested in helping others by nature, that at some point when you be become a manager, you would still have those traits. Some people, some people continue to foster those traits and continue to help, while others change. And like you said, mm. power corrupts. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily power. It could be the responsibilities that they have, yeah. the amount of responsibility. Uh, they don't have time to think about others. So yeah. um, maybe a little bit selfish, but um, I don't want to judge people. Uh, but sometimes you do really want to help. You just don't have the capacity or the time to do that. And and that's such a good point, I think. And um, you know, I'm I'm aware of it's le very late for you. I'll try and sort of wrap things up. Just if we go over by a couple of minutes, that's fine. But you know, when we think about teacher capacities, I think that's such a good point because the last thing that I want to do, uh, and I just make this really clear for listeners, is I'm not having a SLT manager bashing session. Um, but I do think that your point about capacity is so important because um, in what I've looked at in teacher CPD, for example, I found loads of teachers who would love to do more reading and engage in more CPD, but who don't have the capacity to. And it's, I think yes. that's also true of leaders, the weight of responsibility, um, you know, the, the hmm. thing, you know, if it goes wrong, it really is on your shoulders sort of yes. morally, legally, you know, it's a, it's a tough gig, isn't it? And yes, you know that soft personal stuff can perhaps be a bit of a casualty of that which is i think perhaps we just all need capacity true and and this is this is a very important point because before you decide to become a manager or to get into um becoming an academic director supervisor mentor any kind of trainer you need to ask yourself whether you're actually capable of doing such a thing on the long term mm. and it's not it's not just something that you okay i want to do that um because i'm bored of what i'm doing right now um it's whether you are capable of doing so um what kind of personality do you have mm. are you someone who is capable of thinking about others um issues in the classroom if a teacher cracks in front of you while you're observing them how are you going to deal with that if mm. someone is um not at the level of skill that your company requires how would you support them and so on and so forth so um in order to become a teacher trainer, I guess, um, you need to think about what kind of person on a personal level you are with the people in your life, because mm. this is definitely going to apply to your job as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I do want to leave space for the people that can grow into their roles and the people that find ways of kind of, you know, managing the, the the capacity issue um you know certainly if I look on my own career I would say there's times when I have not been I've been very much 
stuck into my own work and, and not really been able to look up and give people too much of my time but I've come to be able to you know build that in and see the importance in it and and make sure that I make that space for it um so yeah I mean I, I guess I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that these traits are fixed um I think people can can grow into it a little I wonder what you what you make of that um yeah you have a point um but I'm I'm not I'm not talking about it uh in the form of something that you have or you don't mm. it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically your willingness I think um mm. yeah we're all busy and sometimes sometimes you you need to be taken care of as well at the workplace even if you are a manager you need someone to speak to about your problems as well uh you're not a superhero or anything um mm. so even if you are busy even if you have thousands of to-dos on your to-do list um are you still willing to become that kind of person who can put put some time in your schedule to help others um so if you're willing to i think you can make a habit out of it but uh, some people just don't care that's what i'm trying yeah. to yeah yeah no i th- i think that's uh, it's life's rich tapestry isn't it it's uh, there's always all kinds of people and um yeah i think we we are within structures aren't we that perhaps do test our capacities to the limit sometimes and uh, that's a shame because i think you're right it's teaching is a is a fundamentally a, a human profession isn't it it's dealing yeah. with human beings and they they're increasing their capacities in whatever sense that is academically intellectually um professionally and uh you know I, unfortunately i think in many cases the systems constrain us um in in ways that are just not not sustainable yeah that's definitely true no oh, that's really brilliant listen sarah i i i'm very aware that uh, we've overrun very slightly and i know that you're a busy lady and you uh deserve your rest so i'm going to just say thank you so so much for coming on the show tonight we've talked an awful lot about teacher training and uh your experiences and i really do appreciate that you did share um sort of your own experiences um in that call as well so thank you so much thank you so much catherine i really enjoyed being on the show hopefully people benefited from it as well really appreciate it i know that a lot of people do um download these um after the fact and listen to them so so that's really brilliant and uh thank you very much sarah again um sarah omar special guest all the way from cairo thank you for joining us live tonight uh, remember there are teachers talk radio shows all week join me again fortnightly at the same time bye bye for now You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.